We turn in God's Word this evening to the book of Numbers, chapter 22. Numbers, chapter 22. And I'm going to ask Brother Rudy if you would pray before the reading of God's Word tonight. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again that we have opportunity to read your Word. Lord, what an amazing story we have tonight, the way that you use your creation and everything in it for your honor and your glory. Pray that you'll be with Pastor Bob tonight as he expounds on this word. Lord, that you'll give him the truths that you want us to know, that we will go closer to you and take that with us into this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. I'm going to do this a little differently tonight. So... If you're used to taking notes, I'm going to actually cover points one and two before we turn to the scripture passage. And then as we come to the scripture passage, okay, we'll, we'll pick up where we're at in the sermon rather than reading it and then going back. So first of all, we, we need to set the background to this passage. This is one of those well-known passages okay, of Scripture. It's used sometimes by skeptics. It's used by the mockers and the scoffers. Of, so you believe God's Word, so you believe a donkey spoke at one time. And uh, perhaps sometimes you've been caught in the thing of having to say, yes, I do believe that that's what happened. And you can just see the mockery in their eyes. And you can just hear the scoffing. Sometimes this passage is challenging in that regard, even for some Christians. They find it challenging. How exactly is a donkey going to talk? But I think our greatest danger is we get caught up in the talking donkey. And that becomes the theme of the passage. The donkey talked, the donkey talked, the donkey talked. And we miss... The whole passage, the real truth that's found in this text. So let's back it up before we get to the talking donkey. The background to this particular chapter are the following. One, Israel's been wandering for 40 years. They had the opportunity to enter into Canaan. 40 years prior to this, but their disbelief, their unwillingness to move forward, their lack of faith, their lack of courage, their lack of trusting in the Lord, called down upon them God's judgment. And for 40 years, Canaan's been right there, but they've been unable to enter. But now has come the time for them to begin this final leg of their 40 years of wandering, which is going to end with them entering Canaan. And this final leg begins with warfare. Three battles are told to us in chapter 21. There is a battle with Arad, a Canaanite king in the Negev in which Israel defeats this Canaanite king. Secondly, 
there is a battle against Shihon, who is the king of the Amorites. From what we read, from what we gather, he must have been a very powerful king. And yet Israel was able to conquer him and his forces. Third, the third battle is against a man by the name of Og, who is the king of Bashan, a rather large and extensive territory that came out against Israel in order to keep them from entering. And yet Israel defeated them as well. Three battles, three victories, three battles against three nations that as we look at the scriptures seem to indicate were not only rather decisive, but were unexpected. That Israel coming and emerging victorious means that they are indeed a powerhouse to deal with. Not so much because of Israel, but because of their God. The notoriety of the Lord has preceded them. Indeed, by the time we get to the book of Joshua and they come to the city of Jericho, Jericho is afraid. Why? Because they've heard what God has done. It's not what Israel has done, it's what God has done. Well, there's another king that is concerned. It's the king of Moab. His name is Balak. Look with me just at the opening verses of this 22nd chapter to note his concern. Verse 2, And Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. And Moab was in great dread of the many people because they were many. Moab was overcome with fear of the people of Israel. And Moab said to the elders of Midian, This horde will now lick up all that is around us as an ox licks up the grass of the field. They're scared. They are scared of the people of Israel. Now, your king Balak, Three kings have lost successive battles. Three kings that might have actually been more powerful than you. Does it make any sense to go to battle against them? That sounds like sure defeat. In fact, their words are, <laughs> dread is upon us. Why? <laughs> We're going to lose. If we go to battle against Israel, we are going to lose. So Balak comes up with a different tactic. He's going to introduce not warfare in terms of swords and arrows and shields. He's going to interject a spiritual battle. He's going to call upon the gods, small g, with an S, to intervene on his behalf in the hopes of defeating Israel in a spiritual battle against their God. So the man he calls is a prophet. That's what he's known as. The prophet he calls into this service. He needs 
somebody to do this work. He calls a man by the name of Balaam. He is identified as the son of Beor, who is as well from the land of Pethor. All of that information doesn't mean much to us, except for Balaam means not of this people. He's not an Israelite. In fact, he lives nowhere near this scene. Balaam is from way up by the Euphrates in Mesopotamia. He's got a reputation. He's got a reputation as the most powerful sorcerer there is. This is who Balak wants. Let's bring him down here to deal with it. His work is defined for us in this passage as a diviner. I don't want you to think in any way that, that in some way Balaam is a true prophet. He's a false prophet. In fact, we would probably go further than the fact that he's just a false prophet. He's a sorcerer. They bring to him the fee for divination. They're going to pay him to be in contact with the spirits of the dead. And through that, to in some way that he will call a spiritual curse upon the people of Israel that will make them weak, that will make them immobile, that will take away their strength, that will take away their power, and then Moab will be able to defeat them on the field of battle. But we need to deal with the spiritual first. There's no way they're going to defeat Israel without this. So thinks Balak. How do you do divination? Well, in a word, it's witchcraft. You get yourself involved in all sorts of strange things stuff. Get yourself involved with all sorts of strange products that have very unique effects upon the human mind. It's not just doing a few chants here and there. It's evil. It's wickedness. It's mind-altering. This is what Balaam is involved in. However, Balaam does have knowledge of God. He is aware of what is going on. He's a modern man living in the ancient world. In other words, he knows about God. He's not leaving God out of his picture of gods. But for Balaam, God is just one God of many. A God like the many who can be manipulated, who can be altered, who can be changed through various means that one might go through to manipulate a God. This is the prophet. Before we get to our passage, okay, Balaam is told not to go. 
God comes to him. God speaks to him. He tells him, men are going to come. Don't go. I do not want you to go. Balaam answers the men by basically saying, I can't go. The God of the Israelites prohibits me from going. This happens on several occasions. And Balaam holds to the fact, I can't go. The God will not let me go. That God that I know, that God that I'm acquainted with, that God that I am aware of is holding me back. Until the morning that the men who have come as Balak's representatives are about ready to saddle up and go. Then God comes to him and says, okay, now you can go. Go with them tomorrow. But here is the condition. You can only say that which I put in your mouth. When you are called upon to curse, you will only be able to bless. But go with them. Go. That's where we pick it up. Numbers chapter 22. Let us hear then God's word from that point on. But God's anger was kindled because he went. And the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as his adversary. Now he was riding on a donkey and his two servants were with him. And the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. And the donkey turned aside out of the road and went into the field. And Balaam struck the donkey to turn her into the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on either side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed against the wall and pressed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck her again. Then the angel of the Lord went ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right or to the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. And Balaam's anger was kindled. And he struck the donkey with his staff. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey. And she said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? Balaam said to the donkey, Because you made a fool of me. I wish I had a sword in my hand, for then I would kill you. And the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey? on which you have ridden all your life long to this day? Is it my habit to treat you this way? And he said, no. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, and he bowed down and fell on his face. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out to oppose you because your way is perverse before me. 
The donkey saw me and turned aside before me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, surely just now I would have killed you and let her live. Then Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know that you stood in the road against me. Now therefore, if it is evil in your sight, I will turn back. And the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, go with the men. But speak only the word that I tell you. So Balaam went forth with the princes of Balak. As far as the reading of God's word. Why is the Lord angry? God had just said, go with him. Verse 20. God came to Balaam at night, said to him, if the men have come to call you, Rise, go with them, but only do what I tell you. So Balaam rose in the morning, saddled his donkey, went with the princes of Moab. But God's anger was kindled because he went. Why is God angry? Why is God angry? What does the angel say? The angel says, Balaam, I've stood in your way because your way is perverse. See, oftentimes this passage is is kind of like, well, he was after the riches, and and that's why. Eh, That might have been in there, but that's not what the angel is saying. The angel is saying, your way is perverse. You see, God knows where this is going to end. God knows that, yes, out of his mouth are only going to come blessings when he's called forth to give his divination. But Balaam is going to speak other things. Balaam is going to speak other words. Numbers chapter 25 tells us what Balak, the king of Moab, does when this fails, when when only blessings are going to come out of the mouth of Balaam. What Balak does is he involves the people in idolatry and immorality. We say, well, what's that got to do with Balaam? When we turn to Revelation chapter 2, we find out that the reason Balak took the strategy of intermingling with the Israelites, intermarrying with the Israelites, introducing the worship of foreign gods to the Israelites, that came from the mouth of Balaam. His perverse way. And God is angry. Because he sees where this going. He knows where this is going. He knows what Balaam is going to do. And God is angry with the way that Balaam is going to go. Why? Because these are his people. These are the Lord's people. So what does the Lord do? Because the Lord is angry, what we read about is a donkey. And we read about the donkey's eyes three times. Verse 23, verse 25, verse 27. The donkey saw the angel of the Lord. Balaam doesn't see see the angel of the Lord. But the donkey does. The donkey sees the angel of the Lord with a sword in his hand. 
And if we read it in the context of the rest of the passage, it's with a drawn sword. It's with a sword that is ready to strike. It's with a sword that if this donkey takes another step, Balaam is going to die. The angel of the Lord even says that. If you had come any further, you would have died. That's the first thing to know. Not the donkey speaking, but the fact that the donkey saw the angel of the Lord. The Lord in some ways opens the eyes of this donkey to see that which Balaam cannot see. This is not some sort of instinct. This is not some sort of extra sense that an animal has. This is the miraculous work of the Lord. This is God's doing. God opens the eyes of the donkey when the eyes of the one who is the seer, the diviner, the one who gets paid the big bucks for seeing into the future, can't see in front of him five feet. The donkey saw the angel of the Lord. And what does the donkey do? On three occasions, we are told, the donkey stops in some way, in some form, to keep from going further, from keep from going on. Why? Well, the donkey itself is going to tell us, isn't it? Why does the donkey stop each time? Is it concerned for the donkey? Is it concerned for itself? No. It's concerned for its passenger. Am I not your donkey? Am I not the one upon whom you have ridden? Have I ever done anything like this before? Balaam. If I had gone any further, you would have died. The donkey is concerned for Balaam. And then the donkey speaks. Now, before we talk and look, look, look for a few moments on what the donkey says, first of all, one of the things that has always surprised me about this passage is that Balaam speaks back to his donkey. Okay, and there seems to be no surprise on donkey's, on, on donkey's part. Uh, on, the donkey isn't surprised either, but on Balaam's part. Until I started reading a little bit more about Balaam and this sorcery and this witchcraft, and I started to realize this may not have been unusual for Balaam. Talk to somebody who's been on a drug trip. Talk to somebody who in the old days perhaps was on LSD. Do animals talk? They would tell you they would. What is Balaam involved in? He is involved in the pit of evil.
The reason this is not surprising to Balaam is he's been in the trenches of evil. He is used to strange occurrences. The difference is this time. It's not his potions. This time it's not his words. This time it's the Lord. And he opens the mouth of a donkey. God moves in mysterious ways. There's wonders to perform. So we have the speech of the donkey. Doesn't amount to a great thing other than that it's a donkey speaking. Why have you struck me? Why, why have you done this to me? Why have you beaten me? Why have you acted this way? Nothing real startling, is there? Other than the fact that it's a donkey speaking. And we could stop there and go, wow, isn't it amazing God made a donkey speak? Amen, let's, let's thank the Lord for his amazing ways. But you see, then we missed it. If the story ends with the donkey speaking, and that's what we focus on, then we've missed the point of why the donkey speaks. Because you see, this passage is really not about a donkey. It's not even about Balaam. It's about the Lord. It's about the angel of the Lord. Stop and think about that for a minute. The angel of the Lord. Have we heard that referenced before on this journey? Oh yeah, we've heard it back in Genesis, but we've heard it on this as well. Turn back with me to the book of Exodus. Let's, let's talk where this journey actually began. It began at the burning bush. Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3, 2. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. The angel of the Lord. Not an angel, not a angel. The angel, specifically. The angel of the Lord, which we have said over and over and over again, is a theophany. This is Christ. Else the words make no sense. Listen to what follows appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush. Moses, Moses, he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near, take off your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am God. 
I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God, the angel of the Lord. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 14. We are crossing now the Red Sea. We are in the midst of it. Pharaoh and his host are chasing them. They're after them. God's people are in peril. God's people are in danger of being swept over by Pharaoh. Verse 19, Exodus chapter 14. Then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. And you and I both know the outcome, right? God's people walk through the Red Sea upon dry ground, protected and safe. And what happens to the enemy? Drowned in the Red Sea. Why? Because the angel of the Lord was standing guard over his people. What's going on here in Numbers? What is this passage about? The angel of the Lord is standing guard over his people. That's what this passage is about. Christ's protection of his church. Even of his wayward church. Christ stands guard against this force of evil. So that as the story proceeds over the course of the next several chapters, Balaam, Balak the king tries over and over and over again, making the, the amount that Balaam will be paid higher and higher and higher, bringing him up to different mountaintops so he can see God's people, sometimes in part, sometimes in the whole, call down a curse, call down a curse. And the only thing that proceeds out of the mouth of Balaam are blessings upon the people of God. God is sovereign still. Christ guards, protects his people. Sandy selected, oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Listen to that second verse. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus spread his praise from shore to shore. How he loveth, ever loveth, changes never, never more. How he watches o'er his loved ones. He watches o'er his loved ones. Be thou my battle shield, sword for my fight. Be thou my dignity, thou my delight. Thou my soul shelter, thou my high tower. Raise thou me heavenward, O power of my power. Christ 
the angel of the Lord guards his people. There is nothing outside of his willingness that can be done to his body, his church. You might say, well, wait a minute, Pastor Bob, you just mentioned Numbers chapter 25, and there are those who fall into this way of immorality. There are those who follow after those gods. And you know what happened? They die. They come under God's judgment because they were part of Israel, but they were not Israel. They were not the people of God. They enter the land of Canaan. Many who are part of the church visible shall not be part of that church triumphant. They will fall by the wayside. But those who are His, Christ guards, Christ protects, Christ has the sword of the Word of God standing there. If Balaam had taken but one, no. If the donkey had taken but one more step, he would have been a dead man. Do you realize what this donkey is? It's grace to Balaam. Would have been his death. gives Balaam opportunities to repent. Why does Christ so guard his people? Because he cares for them. He doesn't do it out of a, a duty. He doesn't do it out of an obligation. He does it as the hymn that we sang. The deep, deep love of Jesus. Christ so cares for his people that this powerful sorcerer can only breathe out blessings on the people of God. But it's even more than just breathed out blessings. Turn with me to Numbers chapter 24. Verse 17. This is Balaam. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. And it shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Shad. Edom shall be disposed. Seir also, his enemies, shall be disposed. Israel is doing valiantly. And one from Jacob shall exercise dominion and destroy the survivors of cities. What comes out of the mouth of Balaam? This evil sorcerer. A prophecy of the coming of Jesus Christ. 
so that when we turn in God's word to Numbers, to Revelation chapter 22, we read in verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. Do you see the connection? The prophecy comes at a time when God's people are about to enter the land of Canaan, yet this powerful force, this satanic force, Satan himself, is seeking to undo what God has willed. Out of the mouth of that false prophet comes a prophecy about the one who is going to come, the one who is going to arise, the one who is going to be given power and dominion, the one who will be the star. And Revelation closes with Jesus himself reminding us. Say, well, what's that got to do with numbers or with Revelation? That's the theme of the book. The theme of the book is not this event, this event, and then we have to look out for locusts, and then we have to look out for frogs, and then we have to do all this, and it all comes in this sequence. The message of the book is this. Christ protects his people. Regardless if it's a Roman Empire, regardless if it's the Antichrist, regardless if it's Satan himself, Christ guards and protects his people forever and ever and ever. The donkey, the donkey is but a small part of these beautiful chapters that remind us that forever Christ will guard and keep those for whom he died. Think about it, my friends. He looked in the cup. He saw your sins. And he said, I love them so much. I will endure the horrors of God's wrath for them. Do you think he will ever let you go? This, my friends, is the comfort of the talking donkey. God loves us and guards us and protects us. It's that which Luther discovers. in that hymn, A Mighty Fortress, that one little word, the word above all earthly power, even hell cannot assault us. Thanks be to God for a talking donkey.
Amen? Amen. Father, that message that you give to us through this animal that cannot speak, yet does, is a message that again points us not to the animal, but to Christ. Thank you. In the midst of a weak father that's been filled with disconcerting news, news, Father, that Satan would seek to use to undo us, thank you for reminding us that Christ Jesus guards and protects always his people. In his name we say, Amen.